Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. We're going to jump into part three. Uh, we've been talking about how your decisions determine direction. The things I'm choosing right now will lead to an ultimate destination in life, right? And you think about destinations and directions. I was thinking about this a little bit. And we've all been in that kind of awkward situation where someone's giving you directions, right? Like you've been there, you're at someone's house for dinner, and you're like, I just need to run to the store. And your, your grandmother, your aunt, your niece, your brother, your cousin, somebody, the person hosting you starts to give you directions, right? You all have been there. Shake your head. Yes, you've been there, right? And what do you think in the back of your head as they're going? You take two lefts, drive down there. You see a big tree, go around the big tree, not all the way around the big tree, just halfway around it. Like the whole time you're thinking in the back of your head, I'm just going to put it in my GPS. Like, thank you, I don't know how to say this in a kind way, but like, thank you, but like, legitimately, you can save us all a minute here. I'm just going to put in my GPS, right? Because that's, that's what we do. But we haven't always had uh, GPS. We haven't always had smartphones and computers to navigate. I remember when I was a kid, uh, some of you didn't have computers when you were kids, right? Um, I remember my family, we got our first computer. It was pretty cool. It was for dad, for work. We couldn't play with it. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, about eight years old, I got lost one time. What happened is my brothers and I, we were going to go to uh, a friend's house, and my two older brothers, uh, we were going to go, and I wasn't quite ready, and they left without me, uh, which that's just what happens if you're the youngest. You get left on a regular basis, but now I'm also the biggest, so uh, we can even things up a little bit. So they leave, and I try to follow up. I try to chase them down. I can't find them. I get to the end of our street, and I look left, and I look right, and I can't see them. I had to choose. Should I go left or right? Should I stay should I go, right? And I, I chose to go right, and I start walking, and I keep walking, and keep walking. I'm thinking, like, I'm not seeing my brothers. And I keep walking, and I keep walking. I'm still not seeing them. And I see some people. I thought, I should ask them if they see my brothers. I'm not going to ask them. I'm just going to keep going. I keep going, keep going. And eventually, it occurs in my brain, like, I'm actually, I think I'm closer to a Kmart than home at this point. So I'm, like, eight years old. And I'm like, I'm, I'll just walk to Kmart. Because they have phones there. I'll call my mom from camera. So I keep walking. The problem was camera was about three miles away. And I just keep walking. And finally, I did get to Kmart. I go into their customer service. And I say, hey, uh, and again, a little eight-year-old kid. I say, hey, can I use your phone? I need to call home. I need to call my mom. And they say, yeah, we actually have a payphone outside. But they didn't give me any money for the payphone. This is that customer service which actually has led Kmart to start stores all over the area in our country, right? So I go out, and I just sit down by the payphone because I'm like, I don't know what else to do. Y'all can shed a tear for me. It's okay. It was sad. And then my neighbor, my next door neighbor, walks in the front door and looks at me and goes, Justin, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I just, I walked here. I need to call my mom. She said, yeah, we'll call your mom. Call my mom. Can you imagine as a parent getting a call from your eight-year-old three miles away? I was probably gone over an hour. Go, hey, I'm at Kmart right now. Why are you at Kmart? I couldn't find where I'm supposed to go and my brothers left me. So I get home safe and sound. Everything's okay. I don't know if my brothers were safe and sound, but... I was home, I was okay. But we, we've all found ourselves in situations like that, haven't we? 
where you're like, whether it's an actual, like, literal, physical, you arrive at the wrong destination, you're trying to figure out how to get to where you're at, or you realize in your life, like, life is not where I want to be at this point. Like, a lot of us have been there. You're like, man, I thought I would be more advanced in my career. I thought we'd have more in savings. I thought we'd have a family by now. I thought I'd be married by now. Whatever it is, you say, I thought life would be different, and I'm at this, this place where I'm like, I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. And for a lot of us, even if you've gone through the last few weeks talking about who you want to be in five years, not just what do you want to have, but who is the person you want to be in five years, you say, man, I really want to be that person, but that person seems so far away from who I am right now. Like, I don't know if I can ever get there. The reality is, as you journey through life, you can get to just about almost anywhere you want to go, and it starts the exact same way. It starts with one step at a time. Right? You take one step in the direction, you keep going. It doesn't matter how far your journey is. If you start and you consistently take one step, you're going to get there eventually. There's an old Chinese proverb that says that even a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Now, that's really comforting for you if you're going in the right direction, right? You go, okay, I don't feel like I'm there yet, but I'm going to keep going. But what if you're heading in the wrong direction? Journey of a 1,000 miles, you go a 1,000 miles the wrong direction, you should wake up, you're 2,000 miles off of where you thought you wanted to be or hoped you could be. And for a lot of us in life, you say, man, like, even I've, I've heard these messages or I've been in church for some degree of time, I've, I've understood some things, that there's these, like, promises that we talk about, and, and even we, we sing about promises, and there's blessings, and, like, I don't feel like that right now. Like, let's be honest, how many of us have felt like that or even do feel like that today? You say, man, like, there's this distant promise, it's way over there, it's way out there, kind of beginning to question if it's actually going to happen, because I don't feel it right now. This is really the same is true for us, whether it's a physical journey or a spiritual journey. It's just one step at a time. It's taking a single step, and then after you take that step, taking another step. And as you look through the scriptures, you're going to see, and we're going to look at today, uh, God's people regularly felt like this, where there was a promise out in front of them, and they say, man, there's this promise, but right now I don't feel it, and i got to walk through this desert season to get to the promise. But because of the person who made the promise, I trust the promise. And you walk through that. See, God's people actually, like the Hebrew Israelite community, nation of Israel, they're like God's chosen people. God actually came and met a guy named Abram. This is thousands of years ago. And he promised Abram that I'm going to make you into multiple nations. I'm going to give you this beautiful land that's flowing with milk and honey. I don't know why that's so good, right? Like honey sticky for me. I don't want honey all over my body. I don't want flowing honey in my house, right? I want a little bit of honey on a biscuit. That's about it. There's flowing milk and honey. There's all this provision, all this stuff going on. And God says, okay, it's going to happen. The problem was Abram didn't have any kids. And maybe you're familiar with the story is Abram goes, well, I don't, I don't have any kids. I'm in my 90s. Actually, Scripture talks about how he was good as dead. Like, how would you like to be described as good as dead? And God says, and you're going to have a baby. And actually, uh, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. See, Abram meant exalted father. Abraham the one that God changed it to, that means father of a multitude. Now, let's just be real too. you. Think about Abram. If you're always being called by Abram, you know what your name means, and you know it means father, and you know you're not a father. That'd be tough. And then God comes, and God gives him a new identity, which that sounds awfully familiar from last week a little bit. Gives him a new identity. He says, you're going to be not just a father, you're going to be a father of a multitude. And Abram trusts, even though he has to walk through a season of the desert, because eventually, then he has a child. 
but he's not in the promised land yet. See, because his son has a son, and his son has a son, and his son has a son. That's this guy named Joseph. Maybe you heard the story of Joseph. Joseph, as his teenagers, having these dreams where God's promising him, hey, your brothers and your family, people are going to bow down to you. Like, you're going to be exalted. Like, it's going to be, like, wow, awesome. And you're like a teenager. You're like, wow, this is awesome. But he didn't know that he was actually going to get sold into slavery by his brothers. And then he was going to end up working as a slave in a guy's house and then get accused and go to prison and have to work in the prison before he would ever eventually get to the place where he was sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh leading the entire nation of Egypt. See, the promise was made, but he had to go through a process. He had to go through a season to get to that promise. There was blessings ahead, but there wasn't a blessing right now. And then actually that's the passage we're going to look at is this people, God's people, Israel, coming out of Egypt. See, because they were there and and Joseph is there and everything is great. There's actually a famine in the land, so that part wasn't great. But everything else was great. There's a famine in the land. God gave Joseph wisdom to be able to prepare for it. So he's sitting there going, okay, we have all these resources in Egypt. And he actually gets his brothers and his family to come into Egypt to be with him. And it fulfills the promise God made to him, saying, your brothers and your family are going to bow down to you and you're going to be exalted over them. That's the fulfillment of that promise. And then they stay in Egypt, and Pharaoh goes, I got so much love for Joseph and his family that I'm going to give him a nice area area called Goshen. I'm going to put you up there. It's going to be awesome. But then Joseph dies, and then that Pharaoh dies. And a new Pharaoh comes into power, and he is sitting there, and he goes, I don't know Joseph. I have no relational capital with these people, but they are multiplying at an alarming rate, and I'm afraid of them. So what am I going to do? I'm going to enslave all these Hebrew Israelite people. And for 400 years, they're enslaved. And they're not in the promised land. And my dad was a slave, and his dad was a slave, and his dad was a slave. And they, my, you know, they tell us these stories, the old people tell us these stories about the promised land that we're supposed to have. And, like, this doesn't feel like it right now. Like, right now, this feels like a lot of bondage. Right now, I feel like I'm a slave. And what's going to happen? And then God sends another man in place named Moses. And maybe you're familiar with the story of Moses. Moses uh, was actually raised up in Pharaoh's household and had to run away. He killed a dude. He had to run away and spend a season out in the desert. God says, hey, Moses, come in here. I want you, you're going to go back and lead people. And Moses is like, I'm not leading anything. And God's like, no, 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 really, Moses, you need to do this. And Moses is like, no, really, God, I don't think you know. Like, it's not me. And God's like, shut up, Moses, I'm God. I'm going to give you power. You're not strong enough. That's the point. I'm going to show how strong I am through how I use you. So Moses goes back to lead the people, and you've probably seen a cartoon about this. You've probably read a book about this. You saw this where it's all like Moses goes into Pharaoh like, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's all like, nah, bro, we're not doing that. They're slaves, right? Like we're not letting go of all our slaves for free. And then Moses said, all right, well, it's not going to be good. So, so bugs are coming, and flies are coming, and frogs are coming, and boils. And there's, I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. The Nile is turning into blood. All sorts of crazy stuff is happening. And God is showing through Moses, hey, this is how powerful I am. Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. And then God finally convinces Pharaoh through Moses to let the people go. Problem is they're a slave nation. Like they have no idea how to be a nation. So Moses is like, all right, everybody, pack up your stuff. We're going to go start walking. And they start walking towards the promised land. They get on the outside of Egypt, and they're right there. The, the Red Sea is right there. And then, like, Pharaoh's army's coming up behind. I'm like, I promise, I'm not making any of this up, right? You read this for yourself. Read Genesis. Read Exodus. Exodus means the exit. Read Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. Pharaoh's army's coming up, and they're all freaking out. They're losing their minds, just like you and I would be, right? And God uses Moses again. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. Then he closes the Red Sea, and he destroys all of Pharaoh's army. Now, for some of us, if we're honest, we're like, 
yeah, that's good for the kid's story, but that doesn't sound real. I'm an adult. I'm smart. Like, that's not reasonable. That's not logical. That's not, like, there, you can't figure that out. Like, and, and here's what I would say. You're right. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not natural for these things to happen. But what I'd also say is make sure you're investigating the right things about our faith. Because for some of us, you go, well, I'm investigating, I'm looking at all these stories, all these miracles, and I can't buy into that because I don't believe about that. What I'd say is, let's put a comparison up. Which is a greater miracle, saying and predicting your own death and resurrection and pulling that off or sending some frogs into Egypt? Which is a greater miracle? Say, hey, I am the way, I am the truth, and if you follow me, you'll have access to the Father. I'm going to lay down my life. I will die, be dead for three days and three nights, and then rise again later and show everyone I'm God. You're going to touch my hands and my side. You're going to see, like, there's actual evidence of this happening. Like, which is a greater miracle, that or the Red Sea parting? So even if you're struggling, which let's be real, like, all of us are struggling with different areas of faith. You say, I'm a skeptic, I don't believe this. Like, I would say, you don't have to believe any of this. You can still come, you can still be a part of what we're doing here. But I'd say, investigate the right miracle, because if Jesus did what he claims to have done with the resurrection, if that really happened, that is massive and bigger than anything else in all of Scripture. And I believe those things that happened with Moses because I believe what happened with Jesus. Because Jesus actually says, I am greater than Moses. Jesus points back to Moses and says, yeah, Moses was here. Moses was a real person. This wasn't fairy tale or make-believe. That really happened. And now I am here. So if you can accept Jesus, then you can accept Moses. But if you don't accept Jesus' message, then it doesn't make sense for you to accept Moses' message because it doesn't make sense outside of Jesus. So they get through the Red Sea, and they're hanging out there, and they're in the promised land now, right? They're all excited. They're all high-fiving each other, setting up their tents. It's, but it's, actually, it's not that easy. Check out this map of their journey from Egypt to the promised land. Uh, South Campus, you guys see this too. It's obvious that Moses didn't have a GPS, or he refused to ask for directions. Can you see this? I don't know what that triangle doohickey thing is up there. He did a loop-de-doop, and I don't know why he went all these places Looks to me like a straight line is the fastest way to get there. But you can see where they went. They actually spent 40 years in the desert wandering around, wondering about when will this promise happen. Like we were in bondage in Egypt, and we were told we leave the bondage. We're going to walk into the promise, and we're going to walk into blessings. But right now, it doesn't feel like that because right now we're in the desert. And a couple weeks after they were actually in the desert, this is what happened. And this is exactly what I would do, probably what you would do. It says Exodus 16, which if you have a smartphone, check out the CC app. Go to the message resource. You can follow along. You can see all these passages right on your phone. You can fill in some blanks. That way you can track right with us the whole time. This is what it says in Exodus 16. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, if I am Moses, my thing is, like, are you freaking serious right now, people? Like, how many of you, let's be honest, you give your kid dinner and they don't want to eat what you made. And you're like, really? Like, like, you were in bondage. And like Moses, I'm just saying that if I'm Moses hearing these people, I'm like, you were slaves. Like, do you not remember what it was like when they beat you and they forced you to make bricks? And they, like, oh, but you had, oh, okay. So you were the different kind of slaves. You were bougie slaves. 
You have pots of meat, and you have food all around you, and the melons, the cantaloupe, all the oh, great. And he's going, like, like, that would be my reaction. It would probably be your reaction too, right? The, the crazy thing is as you look through the rest of Exodus 16, God's reaction is not like our reaction. God's reaction is, okay, I want to provide for you. And he sent a quail, a bird, to come and fly around their camps at, at dusk, at nighttime. And they, they go and they grab these birds by the hand. And man, like, we got birds, and you eat that, and it's great. And he sent donuts in the morning for them. and be at the camp. He'd be around. They had to pick it up. You don't believe me. It was donuts. Go look up manna. It's talking about it's a, it's a coriander seed. It's like a flaky thing. It tastes like honey. That sounds like a donut to me. Okay, there's biblical precedent for donuts in the morning. Okay? And there's no calories on Sundays either. So he sends, he says, I want to provide for you every day. I'm going to send out quail and manna, and it's going to be there every day. But here's the deal. you got to collect one day's worth of food, and that's it, except for the sixth day of the week. Then you'll collect two days because you rest on the seventh day because you believe in me. But if you collect more, like if you collect on Monday all the food for the week, it's going to spoil. Because God is showing them, I want you to remember my provision every single day, not just one day. I don't want you to go through the whole month and go, well, we stocked up all the food. Remember when God did that way back then? No, I want to remind you of my provision every single day as you're taking steps towards the blessing. For some of us, right now, we started to change some things in our lives. And over the past couple of weeks, we're like, man, I'm going to try this thing because I want to be this person in five years. So I'm going to start doing these things today. And it's gotten a little bit difficult. You're like, man, like I had to have that conversation. I had to stop doing this thing, start doing that thing. And it gets difficult for us. And we say, man, I feel like I just want to give up because it shouldn't be this hard. I tell you that most things in life worth doing are hard. And it takes a lot of work. But God's saying, I'm going to provide for you right through this. But here's the reality. Because they hadn't realized the promise, they hadn't touched and felt, because they didn't realize the promise, they began to question the person. And they question motives, not just actions. Then they're really pointing at Moses and Aaron. They're really pointing at God, saying, God, if you would have just killed us in Egypt, our misery would have been over, and we wouldn't be starving here. But now you've called us to be starving out here. Again, God's saying, hey, every single day I'm going to provide for you. You're questioning my goodness. I'm going to show you my goodness every single day. And this is where we can see a beautiful picture of how we should be provided for by God every single day. I'm so glad you guys are here on a Sunday uh, listening to God's word and being uh, just seeking God's face. But you know what I heard? I heard a rumor going around that Monday is a good day to seek God also. And actually, funny thing, I heard the same thing about Tuesday. And Worship Wednesday, y'all get your Worship Wednesday on, right? Get your playlist, sit in the car, jam out, have a good time, worshiping Jesus on Wednesday. Thursday, it's a different kind of thirsty Thursday, okay? You say, I'm thirsty for something. I'm going to get Jesus going to come here. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the fountain of living water. Why did he say those things? Because he knew we were going to get hungry and thirsty. He's saying, come here. I'm going to provide for you. I'm not angry at you. I'm loving towards you. I want to provide for you, even as you're going through this season, even as you're going, man, this is a difficult time. I'm in this desert. Like, when is God going to show up the blessings that he promised me? And God's saying, it's, it's not yet, but I'm going to provide for you, even when you're waiting on that blessing. And then he goes through, and this is the uh, two passages we're going to look at. Deuteronomy and Exodus actually both write down an account of how they're going to move into the land. Not if they're going to move into the land, but how. This is Deuteronomy 7. It says, you may say to yourselves, this is them marching towards the promise, marching towards the blessings of God. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? 
But do not be afraid. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Now, as we are waiting on the blessings of God, there's things we got to remember. Because right now, Israel is in the middle of the desert. We're just waiting on these blessings. We got to remember some things. The first thing you got to remember as you're waiting on the blessings is you got to remember that God knows you and your thoughts. He speaks to what they're thinking. If you even look through the life of Jesus, you're going to see Jesus constantly answering people's thoughts, not their questions. Even the thoughts you're afraid to have in church. Even the thoughts you haven't told your counselor or your spouse about. Even the things you're like, I feel that I can't really even put words to this. I'm not sure how I feel right now. I'm trying to figure out I just feel messed up is the best way I can put it. What I'd say is God knows you and your thoughts. And it's not said to scare you. It's said to comfort you. Like, you're worried to talk to God about something that he already knows about. And you're worried, like, God, would you accept me if I feel this thing or think this thing or have this thing? And God's saying, like, I already know about that. And what's his response? It's not judgment and condemnation. It's, it's provision and love. But again, you'll see through the scriptures, and you see this repeatedly, it's provision and love through faith. Because you want God. See, the blessings that God is giving us, the biggest blessing that he gives us is himself. He says, come to me. Another thing you got to remember, as you're walking through or waiting on the blessings, remember what God's done in the past. He calls on them too and says, hey, remember in verse 18, remember what the Lord your God, like you guys were there, you saw the frogs come in, and you saw the flies, you saw the hail, and you saw all this stuff. Remember the Red Sea? Oh my goodness, you remember that? We were scared, we were nervous, and, and Moses got up and put a stick in the water. And I mean, like they could remember, they could tell the stories about this. And the point of this is, tell the stories. Like remember what God has done. Even for parents, you, you might be saying, like, like I... I, I don't know all the theology things. I don't know all the doctrine. I couldn't tell you the whole Bible. I couldn't tell you the books of the Bible, to be honest. I'm thankful you put the message notes in the, in the app because I can't find half this stuff. Like, that's totally okay. You don't got to teach your kids all the Bible. Can you teach them a story? Can you tell them your story? Remember when I was a kid, uh, we didn't have, like, hardly any money at all. And then my dad got laid off from his job, which is like a bad situation goes to worse. But there's this, like, really fond, positive memory all of us have in our family because uh, friends of ours came. Uh, their names Amy and Rick Vinyl. They came, they dropped off this box full of toys and food and all sorts of stuff, and they knocked on our front door, and then they all ran and hid all around the outside of our house. So, like, we all go out, and, like, I'm a, I'm a little kid, and I still remember this. We all go, we see this big box of stuff, and we're like, oh, my goodness. And who did that? I don't know. So we start running around. They parked their van down the street so we couldn't find out who it was. We're running around finding them all over the place, joking, laughing. As a kid, you have no idea my parents don't have enough for us right now. But when my parents tell us that story now, as a father, I understand the situation they were in. I also see God's hand in that situation. It wasn't a big theological trend. Hey, hey, kids, sit down, look at, this is how God is providing. This is the Greek word for provision. No, it's, hey, you remember when they had that box of stuff out there? Man, God provided through our friends. 
And some of you, God's given you a story, and you just need to tell your kids the story. You just need to share with them, be open and honest, and remember what God did in the past. And the last thing, when you're waiting on the blessings, you've got to remember who holds the power. God says that he will send his hornet ahead of them. Now, the hornet, uh, I did some research on this. I don't really know what that means. Okay, we'll just be honest about that. I was doing some research. It could legitimately be like a six-foot hornet, like my size, flying around stinging people, right? Like, how much? That would terrify you, right? We see these little tiny wasps and hornets. We're running and scared. We're getting our spray. We're spraying stuff, right? Like, if it was a six-foot hornet, like, that would be scary. But also, as I was reading, someone said, like, it could be uh, the, as they were writing the letters of the word out, they kind of smudged a letter. Uh, apparently, the people writing were left-handed, and they smudged their letters all together. I'm left-handed, so I get it. You go, and, and it could mean power. But whether it's a six-foot hornet flying around or it's power, the point is, you remember God's power? Do you remember what he did? Do you remember how strong he is? And you're looking at these people, and you're terrified because they're stronger. They're more numerous than you are. There's more of them than of you. But you forgot how awesome and great the God is who holds the power, who's been with you the entire time. And he goes on in Deuteronomy 7. He says, do not be terrified by them. So I have the power. The, the Lord your God who is among you is great and awesome. These people are more than you, but I am even more than they are. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. And this is how I'm going to do it. Little by little. You'll not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. See, God is telling them, I am great, I am mighty, I am awesome, I have all the power. I could do it in an instant. But that's not how I'm going to work here. Why? Because I have your good in mind. Because I'm going to go little by little, step by step, because if I gave you the entire land right now, it's not going to be a blessing. It's going to be a burden. Because all these animals are going to start multiplying. You're going to have to go around. It's going to be like the walking dead up in there. It's going to be things all up over, all over the place. There won't be any zombies, but there's going to be other stuff creeping in the woods. And you're going to have to go you're to chop things down. You're going to have to clear things out. And it's not going to be a blessing for you. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes we try to take things that are meant to be blessings and we make them burdens because we get them in the wrong time. Like if you are only able to buy something because they accept zero down, it would be a blessing later probably, but right now it's not going to be a blessing. Because if you have no money to put down on something, that means you have no money. You can't pay the insurance and the gas and eat. So even thinking through things that good things that you want to have, that I want to have, these are working towards it. Man, that's a blessing, but it's in God's time. And God said, I'm going to do this little by little because then it would truly be a blessing for you. And then if you look at another passage, this is Exodus, where, again, we're, we're going through the account of Israel leaving the bondage, moving towards the blessing, and God gives them a little bit more information on how he's going to do this. In Exodus 23, it says, I'm going to send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I'm going to make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet. He's coming back. Round two with the hornet. I'm going to send him ahead of you. Drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year. And a year is a long time, isn't it? Like a year is forever. I'm not going to send them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. And here again, verse 30, little by little, I will dry them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So again, God's saying, I'm going to do stuff that you can't do yourself. 
You're a slave nation. You have no military power. You have no military might. But you're going to take, you're going to take steps, little victory by little victory. You're going to trust in me, and I'm going to go ahead of you, and I'm going to smooth out the land for you, and I'm going to give you victory after victory as you move in the right direction because that is what God is doing. But here's the reality. If God gave them the whole land, it's not going to be a blessing. And the same is true for your life. The things you want to be in five years, if there's a reason they're five years away, we don't like hearing this. Like, I don't like hearing this, but like, you might not be ready for what God has for you five years from now, right now. And again, it's not going to be a blessing. It's going to become a burden. And, you, and we hate being told to wait. But most of the time when God's preparing us for something, there's a season where he says, you got to wait right here. And I'm going to go little by little. Think back again to the quail and the manna. God's providing for them. How often? Every single day he's providing for them. Because this is reality. If he gave them the whole year's food supply, first of all, they couldn't carry it and it would be a burden to them. But also, how much time are they going to try spending towards God if they have everything they need? Like, if God gave me everything I need for the next year, how much time am I going to spend with God? I can tell you the truth, probably not a whole lot. Because I kind of got what I wanted, and now I just got to keep going through life and forget about who provided for me. It's, again, where Jesus points says, I'm the bread of life. Like, you're going to be hungry for things. Come to me. I'm going to satisfy you. I'm going to do things in and through you. They're going to have power over what you're trying to do, things you couldn't do on your own, but you need me. This is, again, you look through. He says it won't take a year. If you look through the book of Joshua, Exodus, you can read all these battles. It's actually a course of about seven years. They're taking little steps. They're taking little small victories. They're not conquering everything. And when they would step in line with what God was doing through them, they would take these little steps, and they moved right towards the direction that they wanted to go, where God was leading them to go. When they tried to step forward and try to do things on their own, they messed up, and they had to take a step back. Because God's saying, I'm going with you. Again, as you go, we talked about this last week, consistency is so necessary for change. Because you're going to become successful at whatever you do most consistently. It's a small little steps of obedience. It's a small little steps towards victories. But how do we even do this? Like, how do we get set in the right motion? How do we get set in the right direction? Because all of us are saying, man, there's someone I want to be in 10 years. There's someone I want to be in five years. There's someone I want to be next year. How do we get there? Here's how we get there. We make it super simple and small. I can say, like, make it, like, stupid small. Okay? So simple, so small, where you can do it, and it's easy. This is a guy. His name's Stephen Geis. He wrote this book called Mini Habits. And in the book, he talked about how make your habit so tiny. It almost seems insignificant, but it's not. Like he said, don't try to work at working out for 30 minutes. Right, because let's be real. Most of us, we have no idea what we do in the gym for 30 minutes. Like my 30-minute workout at the gym is like, go stand there for five minutes, walk on a treadmill for 10 minutes, stretch for five minutes, walk around those machines trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, and go get a shower and go home. Okay, that's my 30-minute gym exercise. You want to meet me Tuesdays and Fridays? We're gonna work out together. Okay, but you go. I can't work out for 30 minutes. I don't know how to do that. So can you do one push-up? Like, like, just one push-up. And some of us go, oh, you're gonna, one of the prophets said, despise the small things. You're going, ah, one push-up doesn't matter. No, one push-up matters. And one push-up, you can do almost every single one. You can do one push-up. It's easy. Watch. Here we go. You guys, see, I told you all, it's a sad day when you clap for me doing one push-up. <laughs> like, man, like, see what you all think about me for real. But if you miss your workout and you're laying in bed, you're going to miss a workout today, you think, I could do one push-up. You get out of bed, you do your one push-up, you get back in bed, you go, 
I worked out today. Look at you working out. And you know what's going to happen? You do one push-up, the next day you do a push-up, the next day you do a push-up, and then pretty soon you're like, I bet I could do two push-ups. And then you go a few more days, and you're like, I mean, I know I shouldn't. I'm going to try five. And you do five push-ups. And what happens when you get up from doing your five push-ups? You're like looking at yourself different in the mirror. You're like checking out like, yo, babe, come check this out. Look at this. I need to get new clothes. I'm doing push-ups now. Nothing changed, honestly. Nothing really changed with your body, but it changed in your mind, in your thinking. When you start doing something super simple, take one tiny step. If you take one step and you keep going in the right direction, you're eventually going to get to where you want to be. But the same is true. If you take one small step in the wrong direction, you're never going to get to where you want to be. you got to take one step. But also what you do is when you make it super simple, you also celebrate it like crazy. And you get out a big wall jar and you write Justin's fitness plan. And, you, you know, no one knows you're only doing one push-up a day. So your friends come over, they're impressed. But you're like, check it off, check it off, check it off. I'm going to do one thing. Why? Because I need to get myself in motion. I need to celebrate what I want to repeat in my life. So I need to celebrate that and I need to get myself in motion because that is the goal. Because you can't change everything overnight. But you can get yourself in motion. And some of you all know about this guy, Isaac Newton. He had some laws. And the first Law of motion is what? I'm just kidding. It's not school. You don't even remember. It's things at rest stay at rest. Things in motion will continue in motion, right? It's like this, this bucket of beads here. This is at rest right now. If I didn't touch it, you didn't touch it, we'd come back in a week, and it's still going to be here, right? And then next week, I didn't touch it, you don't touch it, it will be here in a week. And we keep coming back. As long as nobody touches it, no one affects it, it will stay right here. And some of it, this is where our life is at right here. Like, you don't change your life. You just keep going, same thing, same thing, same thing. But then what happens is you start pulling these out, and I start to affect this. There's like six hanging off here, right? Six, six is nothing. I'm going to pull one more. Look, oh, seven. Nothing happened. You went to seven counseling appointments, and your life isn't all better. You did seven times where you're doing your one push. You're like, I'm not jacked now. You have seven family dinners, and you go, man, our family isn't restored. You invest seven times. You go, oh, it's, it's not making any difference. You go, oh, there's no difference. And you go, okay, well, I want to do another one. Well, that didn't add anything. That was two. I did another one. Ten doesn't do anything. Eleven doesn't do anything. But then eventually, if you start going, and you get to a point where inertia takes over, and it keeps going, you don't got to do anything because you set your life in motion, right? And then what happens is five years from now, you go, man, how did I get a six-pack? I got a six-pack because I started doing one push-up a day. Man, how did I learn all the scripture? How can I teach my kids all the books of the Bible and talk through all the things that God has done for our family? Why? Because I started reading the Bible one time a day, one day a week. How did I learn all these worship songs? How did I be able to come and counsel people and love on them and care for them? Because I did one thing at a time, and then you get yourself in motion. That is the goal of a small step. Put yourself in motion. That's why you put something small. One of these beads by themselves does nothing. Seven things, eight things. You go, man, I, I feel like giving up. You get yourself in motion. You keep going, and, and pretty soon inertia will take over, and your life is going to begin to transform, and you're going to wake up one day and go, how did I even get to where I am? And you'll be so blessed because you're living in the blessings that God has called you to, and you're being the blessing God's called you to be. So how do you make this super, super simple? How do you make this like some practical steps for you? Because I want this to be so clear that you can take a step. And again, we're not living for next week. We're not living for Friday. 
We're living for five years from now and 10 years from now and 50 years from now. My kids, 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 like I'm living long term. That's my goal. That was God's goal with these people. He said, I'm going to teach you in the desert right now that I want to provide for you because God knew when you got to the blessings, you're going to forget if I don't teach you to remember right now. So how do you do it? Real simple. The first thing you got to do is you choose carefully. You choose carefully. You should write this down because this is important for you because this could change your life. You choose carefully. You got to pick a habit. Now, not all habits are created equal. Uh, they say there's such things as keystone habits where it's actually like if you see like an archway going up, there's a stone right at the very top center. The archway leans onto that stone. Generally, it's bigger. It's really important. It keeps the whole archway intact. Keystone habits would be things like flossing your teeth is a keystone habit, which, again, even this idea, super simple. Don't try to floss all your teeth. Try to floss one tooth. You laugh about that, and you probably don't floss. You floss one tooth. Ooh, that sounds like conviction coming at you now, coming through the wavelengths of South Campus, too. Keystone habits like flossing your teeth, making your bed. They say there's actually a link between making your bed and how much money you spend later. I don't know why there's a link, but making your bed is a keystone habit. So choose a keystone habit. Choose something like, I'm going to listen to worship music in the morning. One worship song. I'm going to read one Bible verse a day. Don't try to read the whole Bible. Right? It's like you go to the gym, you start working out. You're going to work out too much. You're going to get sore. You're going to hurt yourself. Right? The same thing with Scripture. You're gonna try, I'm going to try to read all the Scripture. You're going to read it. You're going to, I have no idea what's going on. This is too hard for me. I can't do it. I'm just going to let someone explain it to me on Sunday. Start reading just one verse a day. Choose carefully. Then spell it out specifically. Draw in very clear, bright lines. Make it very clear to you and everybody else who's involved. What is a win? What are we trying to do? Nice, clear lines. Don't just say things like, okay, our goal, our small step is we want to have better family time or we want to have more family time. Right? I hope you do want that. That's a great dream, but it's not a great goal because it's not clear. What if instead of saying, I want to have more family time, we said, we're going to have four interrupted family meals a week. It doesn't matter who's your family, how your family looks. We're going to have four uninterrupted family meals a week. And what that means is we start together, we end together, and we have no devices. Okay, so like sitting down to watch the Women's World Cup over lunch, that doesn't count. You on your cell phone while your students are sitting there hoping you get off your cell phone, that doesn't count. You and her sitting there watching the baby don't care. Baby don't know anything. Anyway, no babies know what's going on. You don't sit there. You go four meals uninterrupted, start together, end together, no devices, right? Every single person in your family will know if you succeeded or not. And then here's what happens. You celebrate it big time when you succeed. You get a calendar out. You put it on the wall, and you track it diligently. That's the next thing. You track it diligently. So you don't choose carefully. You spell it out specifically, and you track it diligently. Because if I go, I'm trying to get four family meals. First family meal, I'm going to mark a big X. Hey, guys, we did it. Everyone gets a high five. Your kids are going to think you're a little weird. They're going to think you're a high five. Hey, we did it. You and me. Look at your dog. We did it. Next time, boom, big X. Next time, boom, big X. And you've only got four meals. There's seven days in the week, so you can mess up three times and not worry about it. You go to the next one, boom. You got that fourth time. But you know what you do? You celebrate like crazy. You throw a party. You say, all right, everybody, leave all the mess of the dirty dishes and everything. Let's all jump in the car. We're going to go get ice cream. You drive out, and you get to the ice cream place, you get ice cream. You're, well, any kind of ice cream you want, I don't care. You get everything on top. We're going to just have fun. Man. We're going to sit here. We're just going to celebrate this. And here's what's going to happen. Your kids are going to think you're crazy. But they're also going to know that you're crazy about them. And I can live with that as a dad. If it takes a couple of ice creams to get my kids to know I care about them, I'll buy all the ice cream I can. 
You track it diligently, and you make sure you understand what your goal is, because if you're not keeping score, you're just practicing. Franklin Clovey talked about that in his law about execution. Like, if you want to get things done, you got to track them. There's something my wife and I were doing over the past several years. We were working really hard to pay off all of our student loan debt because we said we want to be 100% debt-free before we buy a house. We were working. Like, we were trying really hard. And and the goal, the dream, the blessing of being debt-free was out in the future. But we went through a long desert season. There's a lot of things that we sacrificed and gave up just because we really wanted that thing, right? But something changed when we put a chart in our dining room that said debt-free, and we had a thermometer, we were drawing it in. I know for some of you, like, that's so cheesy. Hey, it's cheesy, but it worked. And here's what happened. When we started crossing things off, we'd have friends over for dinner, and they go, what's this? And we talk about it, and they go, oh, my goodness. You know what they always said? That's so good. I wish we could do that. That's so incredible, man. Like, that, wow, you only have $4,000 left. You only have $3,000 left. You only have $1,000 left. And do you know what we did when we paid it all off? Man, we celebrated big time. Why? Because we were focused. We were taking little tiny steps. And it was easier. When we were tracking it diligently, it was easier to go, no, we're not buying this thing today because that's going to push off our blessing later. I'm not sacrificing my future for immediate gratification right now, as hard as it might be. The last thing we're going to do is we're going to guard it aggressively. We're going to guard it aggressively. We're going to work to keep the streak alive of continuing those little baby steps in the right direction. We're going to make sure we don't skip, we don't mess up. But here's the reality. You are human. I am human. We're going to mess up once. What you want to guard is you want to guard against two. You don't want to skip two. You don't want to miss two times reading God's Word. You don't want to miss two Sundays. You don't, want, don't let your student miss two weeks at Velocity. Okay, don't miss two counseling appointments. Don't miss two times. You set up, don't miss two because psychologists will tell you when you miss two, it's like habit homicide. You kill the habit you're trying to build because you miss two. Everyone's going to miss one. That's okay. We're human. Don't miss two. As you go through life and you say, man, I'm going to have the right habit. I'm going to choose carefully. It could be anything you want. I'm going to really choose carefully. I'm going to track it really diligently. I'm really going to make sure it's clear and specific so people know what I'm working towards. And then I'm going to guard it aggressively. Can you imagine the life that you could have, the blessing you could be in five years as you're living? Not someone who's burdened, not someone who's in the desert, but someone who's in the blessings that God has for you. And you then are able to be the blessing God's called you to be. The last thing on this, I think it's just important to understand is Israel had to remember the promises of God, but they also had to protect themselves against the people of the land. Read Exodus 23 towards the end of this passage. God tells them he's promising them the size of their nation, the size that he promised them of geographical area is so much larger than modern-day Israel. Like It's massive. This is what he says. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. But do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. What God's saying is a snare, like a trap. And to catch an animal. You're catching the animal because you want to destroy it. 
God is warning them. He's saying, you go in this direction, and you're with them, and you're not going to think it's a big deal. Say, hey, no, you can stay here. No, it's okay. Oh, what do you do? Oh, you do that worship. That's okay. You know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. No, God's saying, you're going to start getting there, and, and you're going to get to the point where it's going to trap you up, and it's going to shut you down, and you will have no idea how you got to that place, but it will be a snare. And the reality is, for some of us, in order to embrace who God wants us to be in five years, you may need to evaluate who you have around you today. For some of you, you know there's relationships where you go, man, and this is here. This is what I tell you, too. This is every single one of us. This is not uh, specific to my middle school or my high school or all oh, my parents need to think about. Oh, my brother is such a bum. He, oh, no. This is for you. Who are the people that you're closest with? Because the people you're closest with are going to be the people you become like. And this isn't like a, a cut-and-run Christianity where if you have faith in Jesus, you just forget about anyone who doesn't believe, and you just huddle around, and we set up our little tents, our little houses, our little walls built around our church and say, oh, it's us, we're believers, and we're isolated from everyone else. No, get out there. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be out with people. We're supposed to love people aggressively and be kind to everybody, and people should know that we follow Jesus because our love for them and each other, not just each other. But for some of us, there's someone in your life, and you're saying, I love you, and I believe you love me, but I'm trying to change my life. I'm trying to get direction of, of where I believe God's calling me to be. There are blessings that he has for me and a blessing that he wants me to be. I feel like you're not for that. I feel like you're restricting me from changing the ways that I believe God would have me to change. And for some of us, those are some really, really hard conversations. And here's what I'd say to that as you in, engage in those conversations, as you pray about it, is this is why we have the after party every single week. This is why we have community groups. This is why we have service teams who serve together and care for each other. This is why we have a counseling ministry is because you've got to go through some deserts in life, and we want to walk through those with you. You don't got to just leave and go, okay, well, I, I got rid of those relationships, and I have no one else around me. No, you have so many people around you. And if you need help, you go, I got to have this conversation. I have this relationship. I have this thing. Like, it's not simply get out and run and never look back. It's, hey, sit down and talk with them. Have a loving conversation because they might want to change in the way you're changing. I have friends of mine who are walking through addiction with people that they love, and they're being there, and they're saying, hey, like, I love you because I love you. we got to talk about these things. And here's some house rules we're going to have. We're not going to have this, or we're not going to do it because I love you, and I care for you. We're going to walk through this together. But these other friends you got over here, like, they're not welcome here because they don't have your best interests at heart. Sure, it's great for right now, but long term, the, th the way we're thinking, they're not the best for us. Because can you imagine in five years what your life could be, the blessing you could be as you continue to walk towards Christ through faith and not your feelings? You begin to walk towards that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in God's timing, not my timing. Could you imagine the financial freedom and blessing you could have to give to people? Could you imagine a church in five years that provides for every kid so there is no needy children in our county? Like, could you imagine a church in five years that says, hey, we're going to go, but we're going to put 100 wells in the ground in Africa. 
Can you imagine a church in five years that says, hey, we're going to be the spearhead to repair and restore the racial division in the church community and also in our, our communities we live in. Could you imagine being a part of a church that says, hey, we're going to send young people out to colleges as missionaries. Hey, you know the faith. You have faith. And we want to send you in love where you can go and you can be a light and love people there in an incredible way. And we would be known in five years, not for what we're against, but who we love. Can you imagine a church starting today moving that direction? You got to make it super stupid small and you got to celebrate it aggressively and just take the small little steps. Both campuses, would you stand up with me as we begin to close in prayer? I want to pray for you. I believe God has incredible things for our gathering in the next five years. Uh, It is exciting. I love that I get to be a part of a family like this. And I believe as we continue to walk in faith towards Jesus, there is no limit to what we can do because he will be working through us. It's not about us. It's about him working through us. So would you join me in praying to that? God, thank you so much for what you're doing. God, all the stories of lives being changed. God, people turning and looking to you. God, even in the last few weeks of this series, God, people turning and looking to you. I thank you so much for that. God, I ask that we would have wisdom to see what you would have us to do today to prepare us for five years from now. And God, for people in the desert, oh, man, I know there are people in the desert right now, God, feeling let go God, wondering if you're even providing for them right now, feeling like you forgot about them. God, help us see them. Help us love them. God, help us lead them to you because you are the answer. You are the greatest blessing for us. And God, I pray that you would give us just an incredible return on the choices that we've made. God, that we would be a people who love you and change, literally flip our city upside down with your incredible grace and love. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.